Thank you for tuning in to the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We are one church with multiple campuses in the Elgin and Bartlett communities. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org, our church app, or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, may you be blessed by this week's message. Our first passage is from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Our next reading is from John, chapter 21, verse 3 through 19. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The third day. The third day. This is that Lenten study and worship series that uh, we find ourselves into to help us look at the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus through, through different lenses. And so over the next few weeks, we will journey through this season of Lent all the way to the resurrection, but viewing it through the eyes of those in Scripture. We'll see what the resurrection could possibly mean, as we did last week for Mary Magdalene, and this week Simon Peter, and then Thomas, and the apostles on the road to Emmaus, Paul, and even Jesus himself. However, I truly hope that over the next course of the next few weeks, you will begin to see the resurrection in a new light for yourself. What does the resurrection mean for you? Does this extraordinary event in history guide your Christian faith? And what insights can we find as we gaze through the eyes of those biblical characters who also encountered the resurrected Jesus? Will you pray with me? Gracious and almighty God, God, I ask that, that the words that I speak would no longer be my own, but that they would be your words for your people, your message, God, for your people. All this in Jesus' name, amen. So the third day, I mean, we talked a little bit about this earlier. It's, we might think it's significant because of Jesus' resurrection, but if you remember last week, I talked a little bit about how the third day is referenced throughout Scripture. It seems like we find a theme of redemption around those third days as we, look as, new as we look at new life. As we look at the resurrection of Jesus through the eyes of those closest to him, we must talk about another interesting individual. Now, some have called him a little bold, certainly impulsive, but he was also dedicated and passionate some will even say that he's the one standing at the gates, the pearly gates, as people, a number of jokes start that way with Peter at the gates. But Simon Peter was, was one of the disciples who would have done anything for Jesus, anything for Jesus. In our passage from, from Luke today, we hear about Jesus calling those first disciples, Peter being one of them. We can also see a number of similarities between this first calling of Peter and the passage of John where Peter encounters the risen Christ. But I must say that Peter is a man after my own heart. He was a fisherman. That's what he was doing when he first met Jesus. And it was also what he decided to do after he heard about Jesus' resurrection. I'm going fishing. 
But Peter's main mission was not to catch a number of, of tunas or herring or largemouth bass. It was to fish for people. That was his mission. This was Jesus' call on Peter's life, and it remained throughout his life. We can certainly say that this was the focus of Peter's third days. But I want to spend some time on this theme of redemption. In moments uh, prior to this redeeming grace, Paul tells us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, and we all continue to sin. But it's God's forgiveness and grace that offers a change in our lives, just as it was offered to Peter. But there's something special that happens in our passage from John in the scene which we find Peter returning from a night of nothing. A night of nothing for Peter. No fish, no hope, just frustration. But it was in that moment that he and the other disciples encountered Jesus once again. As they approached the shoreline, they noticed a man who they didn't initially recognize. He, he called out to them and asked them how fishing was. I get asked that all the time. When you come back in from the lake, it's like, hey, how was the fishing? That is the question to ask. So maybe that wasn't so odd, but, but it was probably not what Peter wanted to hear in that moment. He's already feeling like a failure, from not only his inability to catch fish, but also remembering that he denied Christ three times just a few days ago. Denied his close friend, Jesus. Have you ever felt like you traveled too far from God? Ever felt like this time, this was the time that you stepped just outside the reach of God's grace? That there was no way that you could make it back? I would imagine that Peter could have been in that place in this moment. He said he would never deny Jesus. He would never leave him and that he would die for him. But we all know what happened. But then this, this man on the shoreline tells him to put their nets on the right side of the boat. Now, maybe they remembered this scene from about three years ago. Maybe the words seemed strangely familiar. So the nets are dropped on the other side of the boat once again, and the catch was enormous. Immediately, they recognize that this man is Jesus. Peter puts on his his outer robe and dives into the water. It just seems strange. We talked about this on Wednesday, why you would put clothes on to dive in the water. But Peter puts his outer cloak on, dives in the water, because he can't wait for the slow boat to make it to the shoreline. He's got to swim so that he could reach Jesus as fast as possible. I mean, there's not really a lot of detail given as to the state of Peter's mind Was he thinking about future ministry? About Jesus rejoining the mission and and finally overthrowing those Romans? Did he just want to have a meal and a conversation with his close friend Jesus, celebrating 
His return, His resurrection. I think we get a glimpse of what was going through his mind when John describes the scene on the beach that morning. See, I love how Tom Berlin in the, in the book, in the study, uh, mentions a word study around the Greek word anth- anthracian. Anthracian. It's actually the root of anthrax, the, the word, which is really kind of strange, but anthracian. The word simply means a bed of burning coals, a coal fire. Now, that in itself is not important. What's important is there, there, that there are only two occasions in the New Testament where this word is used, where this description is used about a coal fire. The beach scene where breakfast is being cooked is one, the one that we just heard. And the other is that fire that is mentioned in the courtyard where Peter denies Jesus three times. There truly is a significance to words and to why they are used. So let me ask you another question. Are there places that hold a special memory for you? Maybe it's a a certain smell, a location, a sound, a taste. But it takes you right back to a memory, good or bad. Every time I'm near a, a campfire, I'm transported back to many times with family, sitting around a fire, just sharing time together. I also think about the, the different smells, especially turkey and all the fixings, which take me right back to my grandmother's house for holidays. It was always a joyful time with lots of laughter and smiles. The smell of cooking turkey transports me right to the middle of those times. I wonder if there's something like that that reminds you of joy-filled times in your life. Something that you just can't forget. Is it a smell? Is it a sound? A sight? A location? What about the times that you would like to forget? These can be tragic circumstances. Times filled with pain and loss, or it could be a time when you failed or sinned and you just wish you could forget about it. Ever have something that you just want to forget but can't? It's a song from the 80s called, There's Always Something There to Remind Me. No matter how far I try to get away, there's always something there, it seems, to remind me. I shared a little while ago about a story with my, uh, with my daughter's birth and her, her long stay at Rockford Memorial's NICU, NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. And you might remember that, but it, some of it bears a little bit of repeating because it was about 18 years later after that had happened when I was serving as a chaplain in the hospital and when I received a call to go to the NICU for an emergency baptism. And while the full story is incredibly moving, it is what happened right at the beginning that relates to what we are talking about. Because this was a time that I would like to forget all of the stuff that was going on. I would love to forget about it as it was filled with, with pain, with fear, with worry, with anxiety. However, as soon as I stepped into the the NICU to scrub in, the sights, the sounds, the smells brought me right 
back to that time that we were in that hospital when my wife and I were there praying that she would continue to get stronger and continue to grow. The feelings were so real that I needed to actually take time to tend to my soul before I even attempted to help others. Do you have a moment like that in your life? Where you enter into a space where you are absolutely reminded about something that has happened in your past. Peter arrives on the beach running up to Jesus so that he could embrace him. To tell him that he was sorry. Or maybe just to hear if there were some new directives for the mission. But in the process, Peter comes across another charcoal fire. Just like the one he was warming himself by when he denied Christ. This had to have run through his mind in that moment. It could have been blocked. It could have even blocked his ability to receive forgiveness and grace from Jesus. I wonder if Peter felt like his denial was just too much to forgive. The denial was too much. And again, maybe we feel like we have done something that has crossed a line and means we cannot receive forgiveness. So I want to remind you of something incredibly important, and you may even want to write it down, uh, or you can just come back and watch the, the sermon later if you wanted to get it again. But here's what it is. No one, and I mean no one, is beyond the saving and reconciling grace of God. No one is beyond the saving and reconciling grace of God. That is a beautiful statement. And a statement for each and every one of us, especially in those times when we feel like we have fallen short. Because we do. We fall short. We fail. None of us deserve forgiveness. None of us deserve grace. But the wonderful thing about grace is that it's a gift. And it is given. To all of us. It's freely given to us. We don't have to earn it. It's just ours for the receiving. Like Peter, our failures, our denials, and our sins don't define us. We are not known by our failures. Even if it seems like that's all people remember. Or maybe all that we remember. God forgives us and then remembers our denials and our failures no more. It is, however, our choice to learn from our failures. Berlin mentions it this way. He says, failure refines us. It does not define us. Failure refines us. It does not define us. You see, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he took ordinary people full of sin and offered new life and a mission. He calls Peter away from all that he knew, asked him to leave everything behind and to follow him, and he does. Peter leaves not only his fishing business behind, but he also leaves all of his previous sins and failures behind him. We find Peter, when he is first called by Jesus, proclaiming that he is a sinful man. He actually wants Jesus to leave him, to get out of his sight. Peter couldn't think of himself in the presence of the Son of God because he thought he had done too much to ever be forgiven or redeemed. But Jesus has other plans. Things were going great, and then they weren't. 
Everything begins to fall apart, and Peter Peter finds himself slipping into old ways, culminating in the denial of Jesus. Maybe this was part of a self-fulfilling prophecy as Peter begins to think that he will never be good enough and that he will always fail, and that drives him back to fishing. It could be that he thought was fishing was the only thing that he was really good at. But after a night of fishing without a single catch, that might show him otherwise. But you remember Peter. Peter cuts off Malchus's ear in the garden. He gets a little impulsive, proclaims that he will never deny Jesus. And then at that last, uh, at that last meal, he says this, and then immediately goes and denies him in the courtyard. He grieves for three days, hears about an empty tomb, sees the empty tomb, can't deal with all of it, and so he goes back to what he thought he knew. Only even that doesn't work out for him. And then... Jesus shows up again. And there's that familiar smell of the charcoal fire and Peter realizes that what he had done and that he needs Jesus' forgiveness. He might be feeling that he was beyond the grace of God, but after three years with Jesus, he certainly knows better now. He knows that anything is possible. Peter gets this time alone with Jesus and it's in this moment that Jesus forgives Peter and reminds him that his mission has not yet been completed. Peter is called to continue what Jesus has started. He is to proclaim the good news to the world. And we too have experiences with the risen Jesus. We also have moments in our lives that we are not proud of where we have sinned against God and against our neighbor, we too feel like maybe we're beyond the grace of God, but there is no way that God will leave us there. Jesus demonstrates in his forgiveness of Peter that anyone can be forgiven. Peter's third day might have started with the empty tomb, but it culminated in a threefold conversation around feeding sheep and tending a flock. Our third day can also be centered around forgiveness and grace. God offers forgiveness to all of us here today, whether we're here in the sanctuary or we're in our living rooms or wherever we may be. What do you need to confess and let go of? Where do you need to hear God speak these words? My child, you are forgiven. And finally, remember that Peter's redemption leads to not only new life, but a revived mission. Peter is told to tend the flock. Stop fishing, Peter. Get out there and tend the flock. Don't go back to what you thought you knew. I called you to a new mission. This is what I want for you. And so through our forgiveness, we are not only freed from the guilt and shame of our sin, but we are also revived and given a mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Will you go where God leads you? Will you follow Jesus? Will you make those little footprints on those graham crackers? Maybe you'll go home today and do that. But will you follow? And how do you follow? Will you discern the Spirit's guidance as you journey through this world, holding tight to the gospel message of hope, grace, and love? Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are grateful to hear a message of forgiveness, of redemption. 
We're grateful to hear this message that Peter was forgiven, and therefore we too can be forgiven. But not just to receive forgiveness, but also to receive this mission to go and talk about our relationship with you. And so, God, we hear you call to us. We hear the summons. We hear your, your encouragement. We hear that there is more for us to do. That, God, you don't want us to go back to all the stuff that we, that we thought we knew. That we are called to live a new life. We are called to proclaim the gospel. And when necessary, use words. And so help us do that, God. And help us to live into our third day. All this we lift in the mighty and the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If I but call your name. We just sung that a number of times. Hear the news. God has called your name. And God has given you a mission. God has called you into service in the kingdom. And so in the words of of Peter, will you go fishing with me? Will you go and spread the news to everyone that you know and even those that you don't? Now, go. Knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you and it goes with you always. Amen.